Our scripture reading this morning is from Daniel chapter 9. If you're using the Black Pew Bibles, that's page 886. If you're not, you'll just have to flip around, look for Jeremiah, and go one book to the right. Daniel chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 19. Daniel chapter 9, hear the word of the Lord to the prophet Daniel. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of the years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of our Lord, the God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, Our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, 
Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. I've asked this question uh, not too long ago, but I'll ask it again just kind of by way of introduction. What, um, how would your coworkers or your classmates or your colleagues or your neighbors or your family members, how would they describe you? What are some characteristics that they would voice about you, your life, how you conduct yourself? What might they say? Think about that for a moment, Kevin. How would your how would your coworkers or your neighbors or those that live in your own house, how would they describe you, your character? Good, good question, I think, to ask. And I wonder if they would say that you are a person of prayer. Would they say you are a person of prayer? Are you the one that they come to in your, in your office when they have a tragedy in life or they have a need are you the one that they are texting when their family member has a bad diagnosis are you the, are you the one they're coming to for prayer when their marriage hits a rough spot Are you a person of prayer? Am I a person of prayer? We're looking at Daniel chapter 9, and this is right in the middle of the apocalyptic visions that Daniel has received from the Lord. We will not get to the vision of chapter 9 today. We're going to look at verses 1 through 19. We'll pick up um, verse 24 next week. But it's interesting, in, in the Old Testament, there's three significant chapters in the Old Testament, ninth chapters, uh, all of them containing a prayer of similar nature. If you go and look at Ezra chapter 9, Nehemiah chapter 9, and here in Daniel chapter 9, each of these books and each of those chapters is an instance of a, a servant of God who's on his knees before the open word of God, earnestly interceding for the people of God. So today we're going to talk about prayer first two verses tells us the context in the first year of Darius's reign. So Babylon, the first great superpower that we've been seeing in these visions, has fallen. And now the Medes and Persians are, um, are the ones who are leading the world. They have conquered the world. It's somewhat of a dual leader 
Empire. You've got Cyrus, who's the emperor, and Darius seems to be ruling uh, the area ruled by uh, Babylon, the area connected to it. And this seems to happen right before Daniel chapter 6 when he was tossed into the lion's den. If you remember, Daniel's not in chronological order. And so this seems to be right before Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. So four things we're going to see in these, uh, in these verses. One is the Word of God informs us about every part of our lives, even our prayer lives. So the Word of God is really important for our prayer lives. Second thing we're going to see is confession is an important part of our, of our prayer lives. And we, 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 we practice that typically here at Beaver most Sundays, right, where we sit before the Lord and ask Him to test us and try us. Third thing, intercession is for God's glory. So when we make petitions, when we intercede for others, it's for God's glory primarily. And fourthly, prayer should not just be a supplemental part of our lives as followers of Christ, but prayer should be a fundamental part of our lives. Okay, so the first thing, the Word of God informs us about every part of our lives, even our prayer lives. Look, The first uh, few verses through verse 3, Daniel, what's he doing? He's reading, isn't he? He's reading from the books. And these would be the Old Testament scrolls that he had. Specifically, Jeremiah is what he's been reading. Now, we all have excuses. We say, hey, have you been reading the Word of God lately? Someone asks you, what are you reading? And in your small groups, we always ask that question. Hey, what are you, what are you reading in your study time, in your reading time? And we ask that deliberately because it, by asking it every week, it lets you know that this is important, something we ought to be doing, right, as believers, and we, we have excuses, and Daniel could have had some good ones, if you think about it. I mean, think about Daniel. He could have said something like this, well, I, you know, I'm a prophet, and God kind of speaks to me directly. He speaks to me in visions, right? If God wants me to know something, he'll tell me himself. Some truth to that, right? That could have been a good excuse he, he could have thrown up at us. Uh, Daniel was in his 80s at this time, most likely, um, he could have been one of those old codgers who says, boy, I spent more time in study than you've been alive. You could hear somebody saying that, right? Um, and I think about my grandfather. He was 93 when he passed away, uh, Carl Hartsfield. And we spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time um, at his house spending the night. And the grandkids, there's, there's several of us here. What would happen? Every morning, every evening, what would you do? Larry Keith, we read that big old large print King James Bible, right? That was just his routine. And so when you were there, you got to do the reading, right? When he passed away, I, I'm not a child. I'm just a grandchild. But I was uh, wanting one of his Bibles because he would use one, you know, and get wore out, and he'd get him another large print King James. So niece was sweet enough. She heard me say that one day, and she brought me uh, one. And so I'm able to have that, and it's precious to me. Old, in his 90s, but yet day in and day out morning and evening, reading the Word of God. Why? Because he believed it was the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. And he needed to read it, even as a 90-year-old man. Daniel, even as an old prophet, an old, wise prophet, yet what is he doing? He finds himself reading the Scriptures. Another example uh, he could have thrown up, tossed up at somebody as, uh, you know, he's Kind of a prime minister of sorts. In fact, hold your spot there. Look at, look at chapter 3. Flip over a couple pages there. 
I'm, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 6. Look, look at the first three verses, verses 1 through 3. Daniel 6, just a couple pages over. Let's read that real quickly. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius. Keep in mind, this is about the same time period that we're, we're at in chapter 9. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would, should give an account so that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now, Daniel was like a prime minister. He, was, he had a lot to do, and, and like a lot of people who have authority, um, he was pretty busy. He had much to do, but yet what does we find him doing? He's studying and reading the Word of God. So he's making time. It's important, even as an old prophet, he's studying the Scriptures, and he's studying the book of Jeremiah. He, he may have been looking at Jeremiah 25, 11 through 12, which informs us this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. He could have, been, he could have read that verse, or it may have been Jeremiah 29. This is a letter that Jeremiah sent. Remember, there's different deportations. In 605, Daniel is deported to, to Babylon, but Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem. And so he writes a, a letter and this is part of that letter, Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. For thus saith the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So Jeremiah is given this prophecy, and Daniel is reading it. And he finds out, he's reminded that God will turn his people back to him and will have their city and their temple rebuilt. Well, Daniel is sure that this time of exile is coming to an end. I think we have the dates. There's 605 when Daniel is exiled. The first year of Darius's reign is 538. If you do the, the math there, if you subtract that 605 from 638 because it's B.C. and we're counting backwards at this point on the, on the timeline, integers, right? Integers, Aiden, you remember integers, right? Uh, so it's 67 years into the exile that Daniel prays this prayer in Daniel chapter 9. So he's an old man. He was deported as a teenager, and he's an older man at this point in time. He knew he wouldn't return to Jerusalem, most likely, but the assurance that his people would go back and the city would be rebuilt and the temple rebuilt had to be a great comfort to the prophet. But notice what Daniel asked God to do. He asked him to do the very thing that he said God, that God said he would do. So God said, yeah, I'm going to, after 70 years... I'm going to bring you back to the land. And what does Daniel do? He prays that God would do that exact thing. Now, most of his prayer that we're going to look at is, is confessional, confessing his sin, confessing the sins of the people. But look at 16 real quickly. Look over at 16 through 19. 
O Lord, according to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. This is the petition part, and we'll come back to this again in a minute. Your holy hill because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Now what, is he, what has he already said? He's already said, I'm going to re- turn your hearts back to me and I'm going to return you to the land, right, and restore you. And so what is... Daniel praying. He's praying that God would do that exact thing. Verse 18, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. Jerusalem was left desolate. For we did not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. He's praying and asking God to do what God has already promised to do. Some folks are a little misguided and they they hold real closely to the sovereignty of God and latch on to that. They say, well, if God is going to do something, I don't need to impede God's progress. Or if God's going to do something, he doesn't need me. Or since God is going to accomplish his will regardless, why bother thinking or talking about it? I can be on to some other business. But Daniel understood that although God accomplishes his will in his own time and his own ways, he's not on our time schedule, and he does things a lot differently than we would do it. God nevertheless achieves his will through the efforts of his church, his people. You and I especially through the prayers of his people. Now, that's a little mysterious, you know. We, don't, we can't really put our fingers on that or get our hands around it just like we want to. But that's how God does his work, through the prayers of his people. In fact, the the knowledge of God's promises should stir us to prayer rather than deter us from prayer. John Calvin writes in his commentary on the prophet Daniel, says, The faithful do not so acquiesce in the promises of God as to grow torpid. Torpid means lethargic. And become idle and sawful through the certainty of their persuasion that God will perform his promises, but are rather stimulated to prayer. For the true proof of faith is the assurance when we pray that God will really perform what he has promised us. Nothing can be better for us than to ask for what he has promised to give us. Think about it this way. Some of our, our older folks, we have some folks who are homebound, and they're in the twilight of their days. And we would say we believe in the perseverance of the saints, or what some people say, once saved, always saved. If somebody is given the Holy Spirit as they repent of their sin and trust Christ's work on the cross as their own, they're given the Holy Spirit. We, part of our doctrine here as a Baptist church, right? We're Baptistic. Part of that is we believe in the perseverance of the saints. I mean, if somebody has the Holy Spirit, Mackenzie, they're going to be faithful to the end. They're going to persevere in their faith. But what do we do for these older folks? We pray, and we do it often, right? We pray that they would persevere in their faith. Well, what does the Scripture say? Philippians 1.6, the work that God 
begin, He will complete. And we believe that to be true. But we know that God uses our prayers to accomplish His will. You know, and sometimes we pray and we don't know God's will, but we pray asking for God to act on our behalf or a family member's behalf or someone in our church's behalf, right? We don't know how God's going to answer that prayer. And Paul addresses that, doesn't he? Romans chapter 8, verse 26 or 27. It's a very wonderful verse. It's very encouraging. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is, what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I like that. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Of God, So this helps us as we pray. The Holy Spirit, he, he takes our prayers and he molds it into the will of God. So however that prayer gets answered, we know that he is answered to that prayer is what is best for us. But when we plead the promises of God, we know that we are asking his will. And 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 tells us, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So the key, we need to ask God's will. When we ask God's will, it's going to happen. It's going to be done. You can take it to the bank. So we pray prayers like Philippians 1.6. We pray before we come to worship. We have a prayer time here for people that, that uh, don't have or meet at small groups on Sunday nights. We have a, a prayer time for people who are already here at church just to have prayer for our church and pray for our needs and pray for our, our service. Think about the high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed, John 17, 17. Jesus thinking about his disciples, his followers. Sanctify them by the truth, Father. Your word is truth. That's a great prayer to pray for us as we come to small group as we come to worship. God sanctifies by your truth. Your word is true. Scripture is the, the key to determine God's will. We don't look for dreams. We don't look for all these other things. We look to the word of God to direct us to God's will and it shapes our hearts to his heart. So we go to the scriptures and the scriptures inform us how we ought to pray. So when we pray, we need to start having our Bibles open. Start having our Bibles open. One of the things I've done is I've gone through the Psalms and just in color-coded with highlighters, highlighted verses. So, so a lot of times I'll just walk in here and I'll just have my Bible open and I'll just, just pray the Psalms, just walking through the sanctuary here. Just, and I'm, I can just flip through the Psalms and I've got them already highlighted and it helps direct my, my, my eyesight, catching those things. I can pray to the Lord. The Puritans call this practice pleading the promises. They would, they would go to God with what he said he would do. Lord, do what you said you would do. And we should do the same. Think about, you, you ever tell your kids something? Hey, we're going to go out. You can't ever say, hey, I think or we might go swimming tomorrow, right, in the summertime. That's just stupid. You ought to, ought to know that. I've been a parent a long time, right? You don't say that. Um, don't even bring it up if you're not sure, right? You say, hey, we're going to go swimming tomorrow. Well, what's going to happen if, if Chris tells Drew tomorrow we're going swimming? Then tomorrow, what's going to happen? What's Drew going to tell Chris? Yeah, going to remind him that we have to do what he said we're going to do, right? 
They expect you to, Chris, Drew expects you to go and do what you said you would do. Right? Isn't that what God wants his children to do in prayer? Wants us to remind him to do what you say you'll do. So the word informed Daniel how he ought to pray, and it should do the same for us. Let's start praying more fervently with our Bibles open, praying the will of God. And it, I'm, still, I'm just learning. I'm a student at this. I'm just, just, just trying to figure it out. But I'm learning and growing in it. And you'll hear as we pray, you'll hear people. And our, our church is growing in that too because you'll hear them quoting Scripture and, and praying God's will, right, um, back to the Lord. So we need to grow in that as, as a church. The second thing we see from our text is, is confession is a big part of our prayer life, right? Confession should be a big part. Verses 4 through 15, Daniel realizes um, when he realizes what Jeremiah has promised and it, it, this, this exile time is coming to an end, he, he immediately begins to confess his sins and the sins of the nation. It's a confessional prayer. And you think about Daniel. What has Daniel done wrong? In the scriptures, and the Lord's really good at this, isn't he? he? He, we have great men of faith, great men of faith like uh, Abraham and Moses, Noah, King David. But the Lord is really good because He always shows their flaws in Scripture, doesn't He? You know these great men of faith, but they had some terrible flaws like we do. But Daniel, what are some what are some things that what are some flaws in Daniel's character? That you see in Scripture, you see any? Think of any? Yeah, I don't think there's any. And that doesn't mean that he was sinless, because he wasn't, right? He has impeccable character, and he godly, and he passed every test that we were we see in Scripture uh, that he was given. But we know that he wasn't a perfect man. And so what does Daniel do? He includes himself in this confessional prayer. And, and we see that the, the humility of, of Daniel, right? He's fallen. Uh, he also has fallen short of God's glory, right? Just like all the, the sinful Israelites. Look at verse 4. Notice when he comes to pray and he's, he's, he's praying this confession. Notice what he does. He acknowledges who the Lord is. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So he acknowledges who God is. And that's real important when we come in, in, in confession time, right? Acknowledging who God is. Look at verse 7. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. Yeah, acknowledging who God is. He's righteous. In other words, he's, he's right and just, right? All the things that, that, it, that came upon Israel, that was the right thing to do. He gave them what they deserve, and that's exactly what they needed, right? Look at verse 15. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day. Yeah, they're acknowledging who God is. Yeah, he's, the, he's the mighty God who brought this nation, rescued them, redeemed them from the hand of Pharaoh. And that was an incredible event we studied not too long ago, right? Yeah, that's what God did. He brought them out, brought those people out from the hand of Pharaoh. Yeah, he's acknowledging who God is, but yet he's, he's got this humility about him, doesn't he? Look at verse 3. I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. This is a sign of humility. 
It's a sign of humility. Now, we have to be careful. Sometimes we have these outward signs of humility, but our hearts are, right? Mention this text to you, Joel chapter 2, verse 12 through 13, addresses this. Where one, they display external humility, but not internal humility. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Like, you know, you're tearing your clothes and you're putting on sackcloth and ashes outwardly. Because I know that needs to be the condition of your heart. It needs to be bowed low with your heart, right? Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. It's real similar to what we read here. Daniel is brokenhearted over his sin and the sin of the nation. Think about the, the exile. They were exiled, right? Three deportations, Jerusalem is sacked and the temple's destroyed and left desolate and those that weren't killed or enslaved or taken back to Babylon, kicking and screaming. Why did that happen? Because that's what they deserved. Because of their rebellion. And God is judging and discipline his people. Let's look at verse 4 through 15 real quickly. Look at verse 4 real quickly. Let's look at the verbs. What are, what are God's people guilty of? Look at verse 4 real quickly, or look, verse 5. Notice we, we've sinned and done wrong. We've acted wickedly. We've rebelled. We've turned aside from your commandments and rules. Look at verse 6. They've not listened. You're not listening to me. You ever say that to your kids? You're not listening. Verse 7, bringing about shame because of the treachery committed against you. Verse 8, there's open shame. We have sinned against you. Verse 8, verse 9, we have rebelled against you. Verse 10, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. Verse 11, we've transgressed, we've turned aside. Transgressed and trans trespass is a little different. We see trespasses, you do something wrong, but you're not sure, you didn't know that it was wrong. Transgression is when you do it, you know it's wrong and you do it anyway. Right? Verse 13, not entreated the favor of the Lord, not turned from our iniquities. Verse 14, again, not obeyed. Verse 15, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. It's a lot of sin, a lot of confession. When we confess our sins to the Lord, is it, how do we bring those to the Lord's attention? Lord, I, I made a mistake. I slipped up, a little faux pas. Daniel says, I'm wicked. I'm wicked. Our nation, we're wicked. We've rebelled against you, right? Transgress again. I knew it was wrong. I did it anyway. Look back to verse 6 through 8. We've not listened. Our 
kings, our princes, our fathers, all the people. That's everybody, right? Everybody. We all rebel, right? Nobody listened. So there's shame for all of us. Those who are near, those who are far away. All those in exile, we're, we're, we're put to shame, and rightfully so, because of the treachery committed against you. We've sinned against you, and we deserve everything that we are given. You are righteous. All that I've enduring, all that I've been given, I deserve. The word of the Lord informed Daniel how to pray, and much of his prayer is confessional. We need to keep short accounts with the Lord, right? Continually bringing our sin to the Lord. Acknowledging God's righteous judgment. God, everything above hell is a privilege. Everything, everything above hell is a privilege. I deserve your wrath. I'm so thankful for Christ who bore that for me. I deserve hell, eternal hell. But you've given me grace and mercy. Yeah. Confession is a large part of what we do is prayerful people. We, in, we, we confess our sin humbly. Thirdly, when we intercede, when we pray for one another, it should be made primarily for God's glory. Whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, do it all for the glory of God. Even our prayer life should give Him glory. It's interesting is think about this time of exile. The Babylonians are approaching. Jeremiah has been predicting this. We're in big trouble. We're in big trouble. We're fixing to get what we deserve. We need to repent. We need to repent. The nation didn't repent. And so the, God commanded the, the Jews not to pray. Not to pray for their, their escape. Jeremiah chapter 7 or 16. As for you, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry of prayer for them and do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Again, Babylon's coming. Don't pray, don't pray for deliverance because you're not going to be delivered. Judgment's coming. I done said it. Judgment's coming. There's nothing you can do about it. So 605-ish, you couldn't have this prayer, Daniel 9, God had warned of judgment and defeat at the hand of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Don't pray for deliverance. Don't pray for, for deliverance. Matter of fact, what you ought to pray for is pray for, for your time in Babylon. Pray for the Babylonians. Look at Jeremiah 29, 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. While you're there, hey, don't pray for deliverance. You're going to be... You're going to be exiled. And while you're there, pray for the folks around you that they'll be blessed. Because if they're blessed, you will too while you're there. 
But Daniel, knowing the end of the exile was near, he prayed for God to return his people to Jerusalem and that it would be rebuilt. Notice why he prays these things. Daniel therefore petitions God to, to act for his name's sake. Look at verse 17. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayers of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate, for your name's sake. Look at verse 19. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. We have to be really careful We, we draw to the Lord in prayer and we go to him with our needs and we go to him with our needs and we go to him with our needs. And we have to be really careful. We keep a right perspective. Sometimes if you're not careful, you think of God as being there for us. He's there for us. He's the, the big man upstairs or the benevolent grandfather or the benevolent Santa Claus, right? He's, the, he's at our beck and call. And sometimes we, we can think, erroneously about that. God is the sovereign ruler over everything. He created everything, everything for his glory. Including mankind. We're created for his glory. And Daniel's prayer here is not for God to act in the way that best meets our needs or the Israelites' needs. Right, but rather for God to act in His own best interest. Now, clear something up real quick. When we we pray, or we act, if we we, we act um, in our own best interest, usually it's at the expense of somebody else. We're trying to take care of us. Usually, it's expensive. Not always, but a lot of times, it's at the expense of someone else. But when God acts in His best interest, it's always for the good of his own. Romans eight twenty eight. Let me read that for you. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Daniel petitions God to act for his sake. And we need to be thinking about that as we pray. Father, I'll, I pray that you would save my neighbor. We love her. We love her so much. But Father, if you save her, that's going to make you look really good. Do it for your name's sake. Even our prayers should be for his glory. Lastly, For us as believers, prayer should not just be a supplemental part of our lives, but a fundamental part of our lives. How many pray? How many of you prayed enough this week? Pray, it's so good when you when you preach on prayer because it's just, it's always helpful. Because it's like you know sometimes we need a natta boy, and sometimes we need a we need a kind of kick in the hiney. This is always a kick in the hiney type of sermon. Because how many prayed enough? How many prayed enough this morning? You know, we talk about it, and it didn't always happen, right? Sunday mornings sometimes get a little crazy, if you got, especially if you've got little ones, right? You've cussed twice and, and whooped three kids before you get to church sometimes, right? Just getting here. Just trying to get here, right? 
But on Sundays, it's so important just to be able to get up. You say, oh, it's Sunday. It's, I'm going to rest. I'm going to sleep in. No, Sunday's the day you need to get up and spend time with the Lord. Prepare your heart. That's what's so good about this prayer time. They meet right here, right? When uh, uh, small groups are going on, children's small groups are going on, some adult small groups are going on, student small groups are going on. We got a few adults in here praying. And it's just good for your heart because when it comes to worship, you're kind of ready, right? You're ready for worship. We need to pray. We need to be prayerful people. We need to depend on the Lord, interceding, confessing sin, giving praise. Yeah. Think about Daniel. Do you remember chapter, all the way back to chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar's threatened to do away with all the wise men? So all the wise men are going to die, including Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember that? Chapter 17 through 19. Let me read that for you. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companion, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. What was the mystery? Do you remember? Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he was disturbed. And so his wise men came in and maybe they had done this before, but he's like, I'm going to make sure they really know what's going on here. So I want you to tell me my, my, the interpretation of my dream, but then I want you to tell me my dream. Of course, they're all flipping out, right? No one's ever asked anybody to do that. That's crazy. Well, if you don't do it, you're all going to be put to death quickly. So Daniel, right, gets shattered at Mishnah, and they pray, right? And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, right, the dream, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. What about chapter 6? Do you remember? Morgan preached that text, Daniel in the lion's den. Do you remember the story? The wise men were jealous of Daniel because he's, he's, he's climbing a corporate ladder, jumping over everybody, right? Everywhere he goes, the kings are just putting him in, giving him more authority and more authority. And so the, the wise men were jealous, and they couldn't find anything wrong. They couldn't point out. They're trying to point out fault, and they just couldn't do it, right? You just start making up stuff, and it just. Uh, but he prays. We can, we, let's, let's, do, let's come up with something about that. And so they do, and they trick the king into signing this edict that no one could pray to, to anybody but the king for 30 days. And so they knew they were going to find fault in Daniel because he prayed Often, chapter 6, verse 10, 11, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, what did he do? He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got out on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Daniel's habit was like that of the psalmist, Psalm 55, 7. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. Evening and morning, evening and morning, evening and morning, and noon, I pray and cry aloud, and the Lord hears my voice. For, for Daniel, prayer was not supplemental. It wasn't just something he just kind of did from time to time. When the need arose, have a little bump in the road, we will pray and ask the Lord for help. It was fundamental as a priority of his life, and Cannot be said of us, are we prayerful people? 
Are we prayerful people? Yeah, we should be. It should be a big part of our lives. And like I said, no one prays enough, do we? The preacher doesn't pray enough. Small group leaders don't pray enough. Deacons don't pray enough, right? Yeah. How do we apply this? these first verses here? I think, firstly, just we should, again, be, prayer should be just a, a big part of what we do. And so I want to encourage us as a church family, just by way of application, is let's pray, be prayerful this week. Let's be prayerful today. And let's, let's pray with our Bibles open. Let's try to start praying with our Bibles open. Okay? I know a lot of you get up and you eat, get your coffee and you get maybe a little breakfast or something. You hit the road and you're driving to Memphis. So for a lot of you, that's your, that's your prayer time. But that's, don't, don't pray with your Bibles open in. That's silly. But you get your prayer time in, right? But for, for those of you can, I encourage you to just maybe open up the Psalms and begin to pray those Psalms. For me, it's real. It's easier if I I'll go through all the Psalms just a little at a time and I highlight those things that I can pray to the Lord. It's been really helpful for me. So let's be more committed and more prayerful as a church. Secondly, we need to keep short accounts. Twelve of these verses are confessional. Daniel's confessing his sin and confessing the sins of his people. Are we, are we keeping short accounts? Are we keeping short accounts? It means when we, we, were acknowledge, we were understand or acknowledge, it's brought to our attention that we're, we've sinned, we need to take that to the Lord. We need to confess, right? Thirdly, just we do this every week, right, as a, as a, here in our worship time, but have you ever confessed, repented of your sin? This is 538 B.C., but we're in year 2023. We're living under the new covenant. Christ has come. He's lived the life we needed to live, and he died the death that we should die. Have you ever talk about confession and confession and confession? And sometimes we think about, I'm just admitting I'm wrong. No, have you ever confessed your sin. There may be someone here and you've never confessed your sin. you never repented. you never turned from your sin. You've never placed your faith and trust in Christ as a Lord and Savior. Then I want to encourage you to do that today. It is destined for every man to die and then to face the judgment. You die separated from the Lord. If you've, if you've sinned, and all of us have, we're separated from God. We don't grow up. We're not, we don't come out of the womb being a child of God. No, we're, we, we're born rebellious sinners. And because of our sin, we're separated from God, which means we don't know God. We can't communicate with God. We're far from Him. As far as you can be from anything, we're far from God. We have to be perfect to have a relationship with God. We're not perfect, so we need a perfect record. Jesus came and lived perfectly for us. He died a terrible death to make atonement for sin. And if we'll confess our sin, we'll turn from it, turn from living our lives for us, and we'll trust what Christ did on the cross as our own. 
Trust that he died, that he rose for us in our place. The Bible says we'll have our sins forgiven, we'll be reconciled. We who are far away will be brought near. So near we'll have an intimate, personal relationship with the created universe who's holy and perfect and righteous. We can do that only because of Christ and what he's done for us sinners. If you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do that today. And I'd love to talk to you. I'll be the last one to leave. I'd love to talk to you about that. Morgan would love to talk to you about that. Any of our small group leaders, love to talk to you about that. If you're a, um, if you're a lady, Jenny would love to talk to you about that. Kristen would love to talk to you about that today. We'd love to see you, hear you pray a prayer of repentance and crying out to God to save you. We'd love to do that today. And lastly, I think just... Are we living, are we praying for the sake of his name? Our lives, even our prayer lives, would be for his glory, for his name's sake. May that be true of you, may that be true of me. May we grow in that area. Father, sanctify us. Make us more like Jesus as we read and study and hear the word of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.